just before the start of one of the world's darkest conflicts, that of World One. A man alive for a thousand years seeks to end the world for himself and create everything anew. But standing against him will be a young man who will be fighting this evil not with light or with hope, but with the darkness in himself. The darkness that has cast a shadow on his heart. friends welcome to the pixel horror video game podcast the show where each episode we take a look at different video games all featuring that same theme of you guessed it or from those big triple a titles you know and love all the way down to the small indies you might not even heard of we're going to talk about the good the bad and hopefully the scary so for this episode we're going to be looking at our first horror-based RPG. We're talking about the PlayStation 2 title, Shadow Hearts. Developed by Sacknoth and published by Midway Games here in America as well as in Europe. This was a little bit of a underrated title that flew under a lot of people's radars. The series really didn't start to catch real attention until the sequel, Shadow Hearts Covenant. Unfortunately, yeah, this game released at a Terrible, terrible time for RPGs. This only came out a mere week before the really huge smash hit Final Fantasy X from Square Enix. Now the game uses a lot of the same elements as what you expect in a traditional Japanese RPG. But it does have a little bit of difference in the combat system. As it features a new element called the Judgment Ring. I think this is a kind of gothic looking clock that pops up on the screen when you're forming certain actions from attacking, special attacks, and even items. And on this giant clock, there's going to be several different orange zones. And this little hand is going to start at the top of the clock and spin around fairly quickly. As it crosses each of these orange zones, it's your task to hit the action button each one or successfully execute an attack. If you miss one of these zones, only the attacks that you actually see then will fail, and no other zones will you'll get, won't get a chance for any further attacks. So if you hit the first zone and miss the second one, you will get your first attack, but you won't get a chance for your second or third one if that character has it. At the end of each of these zones, there will be a little small red zone where if you can land a hit in one of those zones, you actually get a special critical hit to do some extra damage. Now upon its release, it did receive pretty much moderate reviews from people. It did receive a few criticisms, including the use of 2D pre-rendered backgrounds 
Think kind of like Resident Evil. Instead of 3D backgrounds, which start to become more popular at the time of the games. The difficulty does tend to amp up, especially later in the game. Mostly due to the fact that enemies like to use... Well, those status types of attacks like poison, confusion, death being the worst of them, and they like to spam them a lot. So if you don't have your characters very well properly equipped with certain relics to counteract these, you know, status effects, they can make your lives very hard and force you to run through supplies extremely quickly. The game also got some criticism for the graphics at the time. Well, this was a step up from a lot of your PlayStation 2 starting games, like Summoner, which were fairly, fairly ugly. It hadn't quite hit that polish of some of the later PlayStation 2 games that came out. And especially at the time, it was being compared to Final Fantasy, which was a rather fantastic looking game. This one just didn't quite hold up in those levels. Now, the idea behind this game is you're going to be taking control of a party. We're seeking to stop some fairly powerful sorcerers from casting a very dangerous spell and using it to basically ruin and destroy the world. This is going to be taking place just before World 1. It's mostly going to be in China as well as later Europe. From a sales perspective, this estimated this game sold only about 110,000 units, which is a fairly low number. It's definitely not a million dollar blockbuster that you saw with well you know Final Fantasy, Grand Theft Auto, Ratchet and Clank, some of these really big titles. So yeah, you're gonna be really hard to find game if you're looking for it. Shadow Heart Covenant proved to be a great deal more successful. This game is tend to be a sequel slash spin-off of a PlayStation 1 game called Kulika. In Kulika, you're gonna be playing as a young woman Born with psychic abilities, he teams up with a couple other people to investigate some weird goings on at this monastery in Wells. Kulika was considered a well, was fairly well received game, but considered a little undernoticed though, as it didn't quite match up to a lot of other big PlayStation 1 games at the time, you know, like the Final Fantasy series, of course. So let's start by talking about the gameplay. As we kind of already discussed, it's a fairly standard Japanese RPG. You have a party of three, which you could change out by talking to a certain character. Your characters each have three different bars you're going to be managing throughout combat. You have your HP bar, which is your hit points. Your MP bar, which is your mana points or magic points. These are pretty standard to your typical RPGs. Hit points, you lose them all, you die. MPs used for casting spells and various abilities. But you also have a third bar called the SP bar or Sandy bar. Now this bar works that each turn your character takes, they lose one point off this bar. Once the bar hits zero, your character goes into basically a madness type state, think berserk, in which you lose all control of the character at this time. It does add a little bit of a complication combats, as well as a new wrinkle is that you want to make sure that you're defeating enemies in a fairly timely manner, as losing all your characters can lose into because losing all your characters can end in defeat for you. Now the major exception is going to be your main protagonist, Yuri. 
he actually has a much larger health bar than everybody else. Now, the exception to this is going to be Yuri. He has a much larger SP bar than everybody else, but that's because that relies on his special ability. Whenever he uses it, this actually takes a large chunk off the bar, but gives him a massive power-up in return. Beyond that, this is your typical turn-based RPG. You explore different areas, at which point you could go to a kind of a world map, which looks like a fairly standard old type-looking map, kind of brown tannish, with different markings on representing different cities and areas that you could go explore. You'll find various equipment, as well as armor and items you can equip on your characters. And yeah, nothing you typically haven't seen. The big change in this game over everything else is that judgment ring we already talked about. Now let's talk about our characters. We're starting with our protagonist. Starting with our main protagonist who will be following throughout most of the game. His name is Yuri Hayuga. Yuri is a young man. He's born of a Japanese father and a Russian mother. His father had disappeared at a young age after being sent on a mission for the Japanese army to never return. And his mother was killed about the same time during a monster attack. But with the death of his mother, something in him, well, awoken. As some hidden power inside of him had basically rose to the surface, the power called fusion, which marks Yuri as a harmonoxer. A harmonoxer basically allows a person to absorb the souls of demons and monsters that they kill, and then if they can tame them inside their souls, they can actually transform into them and use their powers for themselves. A power that Yuri had inherited from his father. After the death of his mother, Yuri basically decided to use his newfound abilities and basically just wanted to destroy everything evil, whether it's monsters, demons, whatever. Now, he didn't want to do this for any particular noble reasons, just basically for pure revenge for the death of his mother. Not too long after he started taking on this little quest on himself, he started hearing a strange voice inside of his head, one he didn't know what it came from. The voice that taught him to basically go to different places. And he found that by following these voices, he's going to be eventually finding more monsters. So over time, he basically just started following this voice without even really thinking. So over years, he basically trained himself in combat. And basically, and making his power for, and making his powers stronger and stronger. Until one day, Yuri hears the voice begging him to get on a train. Yuri's special abilities are going to be his fusion abilities. Now, by entering a place in his mind called the graveyard, Yuri's able to tame new monsters by using points that he earns through combat. And he's able to transform into various different creatures, each representing a different element in the game. Light, dark, fire, water, earth, and wind. Now, each of these abilities or fusions that he changes into will give him a fairly large stat boost, some making him faster, some making him stronger, some a little bit more magic-focused, as well as giving him new special attacks. 
You'll also have to be able to you'll also be able to gain a final seventh of change. You'll also be able to gain a final seventh type of fusion that you earn later in the game. Yuri is known for fighting using basically hand-to-hand -hand tactics using his fists and legs. With his equipment that you equip, his weapon of choice is going to be basically a think of him as brass knuckles, but with some blades attached to the end. Our next protagonist, who will be seen throughout most of the game, is named Alice Elliot. She's a young woman born to a English father, a member of the church who specialized in exorcism. He discovered that Alice had a kind of a hidden power in her from an early age. He basically arranged her to kind of follow into his footsteps and use those abilities to help with exorcisms. Fortunately for her, just before the start of this game, her father was found dead in London, and she found herself taken by the Japanese and brought to China for unknown reasons. She uses books as her primary weapons and tends to use she uses books as her primary weapons of attack and her special abilities focuses around her holy powers and exorcism abilities. The next character we recruit is named Li Zuzen. He's a Taoist monk that we discover in a little village that he'd been hired to form a exorcism on. He's an older man who's actually got some fairly powerful magic abilities. In combat, he's going to be using a staff and uses his special abilities, which is a yin and yang magic. The fourth character recruit is named Margaret Zell, codenamed Malkovich. Not much is too, not much is really known about her. She tends to keep a lot of things secret, mostly due to her role as being a spy. A world famous spy at that. Believe she's sent by the French government in order to impede Japanese operations inside of China. She meets the group after they kind of accidentally walk into a bomb type alarm that she had set in order to impede some operations going on. And she kind of finds herself a little bit enamored with them and decides to follow along with them. She's supposed to be considered a great beauty. And she ends up eventually deciding to leave her mission kind of behind. Inside, she wants to kind of stay with the group. As she finds their kind of carefree attitudes and the way that they could just live their lives freely as being very interesting to her. She fights using primarily modern type weapons like guns. And her special abilities are focused around her ability basically call in various spy type items like Big old binoculars where she can inspect enemy HP and stasis, and even using her little radio to call in missiles and even bazookas and stuff like that in the game. Our fifth party member is named Keith Valentine. He's believed to be a 400 year old vampire living in the castle known as Blue Castle in Eastern Europe. The party ends up meeting him while looking for a lost party member. And in the second half of the game, he's found life to be fairly boring at this time. But after meeting the group and seeing all the excitement going on around them, he decides to join up with them. He fights using a sword, 
and his special abilities are using a type of arcane magic, typically either using his vampire-type-like abilities, or even summoning various demon-type things to well, do some attacks for him. Finally, our last member of the group is going to be a young boy named Haley Brankett. He's a young man who's an orphan living in London. Operating out of a group called the London Rats, he ends up meeting up with the rest of the team and decides to help them out. And they discover that a infamous killer known as Jack, or Jack the Ripper, is seeking to use a valuable manuscript in order to bring back his dead mother. Now, Haley's mother had disappeared several years earlier after being taken away in a witch hunt. And he hasn't been able to find her since. And his father had been gone even before he was born, leaving having traveled to America, having no idea where he's at. Now, Haley uses basically slingshots. Now, in combat, Haley's going to use slingshots as his normal attacks. And his special abilities are going to be some ESP-type attacks, which are mainly which are mainly focused on stats-type effects, making him your kind of support character for the group. We have a few NPCs, which are going to be pretty important to the game, starting with a man named Roger Bacon. He's a very, fairly old alchemist who discovered a kind of imperfect form of immortality. We meet him fairly late in the game, and he's going to reveal... A great deal of certain truths to us. Next up we have Kulika. She's the protagonist of the PS1 game Kulika. And she she disappeared before the events of the game. And it turns out she's actually the mother of Haley. And this is who he inherited his ESP powers from. She's being held in a well, mental hospital. As she's trying to be used by some fairly bad people. And they're trying to break her spirits. But she's found some way to, in order to reach out into the world. In order to find hope of not just escaping but stopping the bad guys. Finally we have Ben Hyuga. This is Yuri's father. An officer in the Japanese army. He disappeared years before the beginning of the game. He would have been sent on a very important mission. They ended up costing him his life. But his spirit lives on inside of Yuri, where he's been protecting him all this time. Let's talk about our couple primary antagonists. Starting with, well, Roger Bacon. But this isn't the real Roger Bacon. He's actually a man named Cardinal Albert Simon. He's an alchemist as well that trained underneath uh, the real Roger Bacon. And he had used his alchemical abilities to achieve a more perfect perfection of the immortality serum. But this isn't enough for him and he's seeking to utilize the powers that lay dormant inside of Alice in order to cast a very powerful spell. We also have a very powerful talisman magician named Duha. He had trained with Zizang years and years ago but he came corrupted by the powers that he was gaining and seeks to use the powers of Alice in order to cast a powerful spell in order to wipe the Japanese army from Japan or from China in the hopes of being able to take control of the world at one point. Now, like any RPG, you're going to be doing quite a bit of random battles 
And these enemies are going to be fairly typical stuff. Think of bats, little demons, various monsters. Just going to count throughout the game. Nothing particularly special. There are occasionally nice little interesting design on them. So now it's time to finally talk about our plot. So yes, the setting, as we've mentioned before, is actually set just before the onset of World War I. The first half of the game is going to take place in China, with after a very big event in the middle, it's going to move over to Europe. So the plot starts on a train, traveling through China. On this train is going to be a young woman named Alice Elliott, who's being escorted by a bunch of Japanese soldiers across the land. But during the night, a mysterious man wearing a fine coat and top hat starts to wander across the train. But as he approaches the back of the train where the soldiers have taken up, well, but as he approaches the back of the train, the Japanese soldiers try and stop him. But they prove no match for him as this man, as we come to find out, is named Roger Bacon, is able to summon some very powerful demons, one which these Japanese soldiers have absolutely no hope of defeating. As he gets to the very... slaughtering his way through these soldiers very effortlessly, he eventually reaches Alice. So approaching Alice, Roger Bacon decides to try and take her. But before he can make a way with her, a young man wearing a trench coat appears in the train car door and challenges Roger. Roger sends his demon at him. While this young man loses his arm, he's able to grab the demon and pretty effortlessly manages to crush his head in his bare hand. Picking up his arm, he reattaches it and proceeds after Roger. But Roger's able to cast a fairly powerful spell, knocking him back and starts to make way with Alice. This young man proceeds after her and ends up following them across the top of the train cars. Here he challenges Roger, but even in his few state, he proves no match for Roger Bacon. But just before he could be knocked out completely, a mysterious power awakens in Alice and distracts Roger. And capitalizing on this moment, Yuri's able to smash a fairly big size hole in Roger's head. Grabbing Alice, he's able to jump off the train to safety, leaving Roger behind. From here, we actually finally get introduced to our characters. Young woman Alice introduced herself as being a exorcist from Europe, and her savior, who up until this point had been just basically known as the root hero, introduces himself as Yuri. And when she asks why he is trying to help her, all Yuri will say is that he's following some voice inside of his head. Traveling through the Chinese countryside, we're going to be introduced to our first couple of characters that will be joining us. Zhu Zhang, who's trying to free a village that's under some sort of enemy or demonic type attack, as well as Marguerite, who is, well, just trying to create chaos. Both of them end up joining up Yuri and Alice, but it's not for too long before some people being led by a man named Duhai starts confronting the group 
eventually makes away with Alice. Now at this point, Zhu Zhang starts to reveal that he'd been hiding some stuff back from Yuri. Turns out that many, many years ago, he'd actually teamed up with another man, a man named Ben, Yuri's father. And it convinced him in order to help stop Duhai, because Duhai was trying to cast a very powerful spell. One that would grant him, or one that would grant him, very powerful abilities. By summoning a kind of godlike being from another world. Thankfully, Ben and Zhu Zhang were able to combine their abilities to defeat Duahai. But not before Duahai was able to complete the summon, and a being known as the Seraphic Radiance was summoned to the world. Not sure what else to do, Ben was left with a little choice but to try and fuse with the Seraphic Radiance in order to stop it. But this proved to be too much for him, and while it was able to stop the Seraphic Radiance from fully entering the world, it cost Ben's life. Duahai, been left fairly weakened from the battle, was able to escape. And after all these years, he finally found a way in order to recast the spell. By using a special power that had been residing inside Alice Elliot, once seems to only be coming to the world every hundred years or so. From here, the party makes their way to Shanghai. In the middle of the city, which resides a giant tower that Duhai performs all of his operations from and seeking to cast this powerful spell. Finding the way to the top, they finally confront Duhai and find that he's not trying to actually call the Seraphic Radiance to wipe out the Japanese army like he originally intended. This time, he's actually seeking to perform a reverse form of the spell, which would summon this godlike being to this world so that he could join with it and gain his powers. Now, the party is able to battle him, and thankfully, they're able to defeat him this time for good. But, much like as with Ben's father, the Seraphic Radiance spell ended up going through and was brought to our world. And much like his father, Yuri saw the only option of being able to perhaps defeat this thing is to attempt to fuse with it. Now, unlike his father, he is able to complete the fusion, but what he fuses with is up being way too powerful for him. And he ends up losing control of it, and it forms a pretty devastating attack on the city before flying away to disappear far to the west. Several months later, Alice, Zhu Zhang, and Marguerite find themselves having tracked Yuri to Eastern Europe, to a small castle long, long since, to a castle hidden away in the forest. In this castle, they meet its owner, a lord called Keith Valentine, who he finds being a very, very, very old vampire. And from Keith, they learn that a strange man had basically taken up residence in one of the towers of his building, but due to his kind of uncaring attitude, he just kind of left the person up there. Going up there, they're able to find that this person is none other than Yuri. And he's been driven basically to a form of madness. Madness that is 
almost broken his mind. But Alice, using her powers, were able to enter Yuri's graveyard. And there she meets the Four Masks. These mysterious beings that were basically demons that Yuri had slain years ago. They've taken up some sort of residence as mine as some kind of caretakers. And with them, she makes a special deal. That if they'll free his mind, allow him back to her, that when it comes time that things are too much for Yuri, and the mouse inside him has built too much, that instead of his soul, they can have hers. Taking this deal, she's freed from their mind for this time, and Yuri gains back his. Now with Yuri back in the party, they decide to realize that Roger Bacon is not quite done yet. And that he's going to be trying to use these powers, these special powers of Alice, in order to cast this powerful spell for himself. So they decide to hunt him down. And Keith, having come for the first time in many years, kind of excited about life, decides to join up with them. Following Roger Bacon's trail, they find their way over to London, where they discover that a valuable manuscript that had been used in order to cast these spells was in the hands of a killer known as Jack the Ripper. And by teaming up with a young orphan named Haley, they are able to try and retrieve this in order to prevent Roger Bacon from taking it. But they also learn a few other things. They eventually kind of find out that Roger Bacon is no longer actually trying to get Alice. Instead, he decides to go after the other half of the special ability inside her. Where, Alice, where Alice's abilities are one of light, there's also a person out there with one of darkness. Someone that he's actually had for years and whose spirit he's been trying to break. This young woman, this woman had been locked away inside of a mental asylum for quite a few years where she wasn't trying to be helped, but they were trying to break her. They break in to try and rescue her, where they end up discovering this woman is none other than Guldica. And she's also Haley's mother. We also get a very important revelation that this mysterious voice that Yuri's been hearing in his head this whole time is none other than hers. As she had been trapped in here this whole time, she was seeking to use Yuri in order to stop everything that's been going on. But this reunion ends up being fairly short-lived, as Kuldika ends up being taken by Roger Bacon again. And not before she ends up feeling to group that they need to visit a place called Nimitin Monastery. A place that, if you played Kuldika, the PS1 game, is actually the location that the game takes place in. Upon getting here, they finally meet a very old-looking man, who turns out to be the real Roger Bacon. And from him, they learn that this man that they've been following all this time is actually a man named Cardinal Albert Simon. He had taken his name and had been doing these fairly bad things under it. We also learn what his true purpose is. He's looking to cast the spell in order to summon this god back to this world. But unlike Duhai, who sought to either wipe out the Japanese army or to kind of absorb his power for itself so he could rule the world, Albert Simon's mission is something much more sinister. He's seeking God here to destroy everything. Destroy everything so he can remake the world for himself. 
In order to complete this ritual, it requires the use of a basically beacon called a Nemito float, something that had been hiding underneath the monastery for until time. With this float finally cast into the sky, Roger Bacon uses his powers to teleport the group to it. Finding their way across the float, they eventually counter Albert Simon, where they confront him and defeat him for good. Now, upon his defeat, Albert realizes that what he was doing may not have been quite right. Using what's left of his powers, Albert Simon is able to teleport the group to meet the god before it finally arrives in this world. And together, they're finally able to defeat it and save the. And together, they're finally able to defeat it and stop the world's destruction from happening. Now, there are two different endings available in this game. The first ending, called the bad ending, which is one that you're normally going to see, already goes their separate ways, and Yuri and Alice are seen traveling on a train. But unfortunately, during this time, all the malice inside of Yuri had built up too much. And this god of death that had been residing inside him that would have taken his soul comes. It comes for the soul of Alice after she had offered it up way back go at Keith's castle. Finally getting to their stop, Yuri realizes that she's no longer there and decides to live his life for her. But there is a good ending that can be achieved. Before a certain point in the game, you as Yuri can actually go into his back into his graveyard where you can face the four masks. There, if you're able to defeat all four, a little bit later in the game before the party goes off to the final dungeon, when the spirit of Otman leaves Yuri's soul, in order to go into that of Alice, Yuri's found that he can basically find a way to force himself into Alice's soul, where there he teams up with Alice in order to defeat Otman, thus breaking the curse on Alice's soul. And in the good ending, they finally make their way to Zurich, Germany on this train, where Alice wakes up and Yuri and her get to go off to their happy ending. Now for the sequel of this game, Shadow Heart Covenant, is actually going to follow off the events of the bad ending, unfortunately. Alice's life is going to be gone, and Yuri, well, he's doing what he can with his life. So that, guys, is the plot to Shadow Hearts. Now, I had actually did bought this game not too long after it came out. After finally getting my way through Final Fantasy X, I actually picked this up right afterwards and played through it. I actually found myself really enjoying it. It's a much darker experience compared to most RPGs as a more, well, not quite modern setting. It doesn't feature, you know, a typical... Dungeons, Dragons, Magics that you tend to see in a lot of RPGs. So it's a little bit refreshing. The Judgment Ring system that you use in combat is actually fairly nice. I enjoyed it. My only real big complaint really was that the difficulty can be quite harsh. Especially later in the game where even basic enemies will, base, will pretty much just spam death type spells over and over and over. You do not have the proper relics or accessories equipped to defend yourself against those. Yeah, it could be, it could be pretty nightmarish. 
but I really enjoy the idea of Yuri being able to change into these different creatures. And then you can, you know, as you get more powerful, you can actually summon more powerful versions of them that you could defeat inside of this little graveyard and change into more powerful and cooler looking versions. I actually enjoyed all that. The story was actually pretty cool. I was pretty happy to pick it up. And fortunately, I can't really recommend people play this now because really there's no way to play this. This isn't available on any type of stores or Steam or anything like that. This is purely locked to the PlayStation 2. And due to the scarcity of copies of this, it can be pretty, pretty expensive to check out. Alright guys, so that brings us to the end of the episode. So for our next couple episodes, I kind of already got planned out. Next time we're going to be talking about a game called The Suicide of Rachel Foster. If you're interested in playing along, I actually would recommend maybe you skip this one. You know, check out some videos of it if you like, or just wait till next week's episode when we talk about it. It's a somewhat controversial game. One that could have been something, but yeah, didn't quite make it. And after that, we're going to be talking about something fairly at least. After that, we're going to talk about something a bit more recent. We're going to be talking about a game called The Callisto Protocol. Another one that I had a great deal of high hopes for, unfortunately. Didn't quite land in the ways I wanted to. But we'll discuss that a bit more in a couple episodes. So I'd definitely like to hear from you guys. If you have any suggestions for the show as far as games you'd like to see or talk about in future episodes or just general comments, I'd definitely love to hear from it. You reach out to me a few different ways. You can email me at pixelhorrorpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter. You can message me at justnewgaming. As well as we feel happy to leave any comments below if you're watching on YouTube or any other podcast services that offer such stuff. If you'd like to help out the show, there's actually a few different ways you can do that. By all means, like, subscribe, and share if you can. Follow if that's available. And if you can do ratings, leave a good rating. That goes a very long way. And if you'd like to help out a little bit more, I'll actually have a link down in the description where you can go to help out a little bit, drop a dollar or two my way if possible. That just goes to buy more games to talk about. If not, it's all great. Just do what you can, guys. All right, so it's time to finally end this episode. So, my friends, just remember, keep your flashlight handy, stay out of those dark corners, and do your best to survive until dawn.